Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I'm so excited about the picnic. I don't know if you guys are, so. Exodus chapter 3. To catch you up to speed, if you haven't been here, we are going through the book of Exodus. And so, uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, and then this week is 3. But last week, at the end of chapter 2, the chapter closed with a powerful verse. In verse 25, it says, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So the people of Israel, they're groaning, they're waiting, they're expecting, hoping that God would rescue them. So God is about to set his rescue plan into motion. Moses is ready. The promise keeper will keep his promise. So if you have a copy of God's Word, if not, that's okay. We have it on the screen. Please stand in honor of reading of God's Word, the first 12 verses of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Let's pray. Father, help us today to be still and to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are God. You are God alone. Father, we're humbled that you are here among us. Lord, would you move in these moments for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God reveals his glory to Moses. There in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. This is not Jethro, the son of Jed Clampett's cousin. This is 
Jethro, the father, the priest of Midian, that, that raised seven daughters. And I want to say today that I'm grateful for my, uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law that are here today on the front row. And they raised some daughters as well. And I'm grateful, most of all, for the middle daughter, personally. But God's glory brings us to a place of reckoning. So if you're taking notes, God's glory brings us to the place of reckoning. It was at Horeb. It was on this mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai, that we see a theophany. We see God speak to Moses in a burning bush. This was no ordinary burning bush. It wasn't just because the lightning struck. This wasn't because Moses decided to build a fire. This was a supernatural event, a burning bush that would not burn up. If you're like me, you enjoy a real fire. Anyone, you like a real fire in the fireplace? I grew up with a real fire, and do you guys remember the windsuit jackets from the 90s? Who, does, who did not get burned up in front of a fire? I know I did. Several windsuit jackets I burned but sometimes I watch on Netflix in the wintertime when it's really cold. There's, a, there's a, actually a little clip. You can watch a fire. And on that fire, there's a crackling noise. Don't you love that crackling sound? And you can hear the fire burning. Well, this fire that Moses was looking at, it had the sound of the fire. Just the roar of a fire, like it's sucking up the oxygen. But this fire was a little different. The leaves on this bush didn't curl. The limbs didn't turn black and begin to burn up. The Word of God says that this bush was not consumed. Moses wouldn't be roasting marshmallows on this fire. It was the fire of God. And it says that the angel of the Lord, capital A, the angel of the Lord spoke to him. We believe that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is... Jesus himself, the Hebrew term is Melech Yahweh, angel of the Lord, capital A, or better translation, the angel that is the Lord, the angel that is the Lord. We believe that this is a, the incarnate Christ. This term is used several times in the Old Testament when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, an angel of the Lord, Christ himself showed up. The man that wrestled Jacob was God himself. It was Christ the Lord. We see it one more time. Well, actually several more places in the Old Testament. But Samson, it was Jesus that showed up and told his mom she was going to have a son. And many other places. He's called God. He's given attributes of God. He's seen by people, worshipped and distinguished from the Father and the Spirit. And most early church historians... And most Bible-believing theologians, including John MacArthur, W.A. Criswell, and many others, believe that this is Christ in the Old Testament. It's amazing. The appearances of Christ in the Old Testament confirm the fact that he existed prior to the Incarnation. Just as he plainly stated in the New Testament, John chapter 8, this is the words of Jesus. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. That bothers some of us here today. That Jesus is God. Because it calls to question our sin. It means that the cross had a purpose. It means that we needed a Savior. 
And some of us, sometimes we don't like that. But we can't change it. God knew we needed a rescue, and he sent Christ. Let's think about Horeb. Let's think about this mountain. Horeb, it means a dry, a bleak, sterile, a rocky place. Horeb was a place of silence. There were no sirens. There, were no, there was no traffic. There, was no, there were no airplanes flying over, no cell phones. And Moses went from prince of Egypt in the palace to the backside of nowhere at Horeb. He was on the west side of the wilderness. Verse 1 says, that, that means the middle of nowhere. And it was here that Moses had a powerful encounter with the living God. The most unlikeliest of places. At the most unlikeliest time, Moses was 80 years old, and he begins to have this powerful experience with the Lord. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Where is your Horeb? Has there been a time in your life when God gave you a glimpse of his glory? The famous preacher Vance Havner. He writes, There may not be a burning bush, and God may not reward with an immediate evidence of his presence and power. But the man who has come to God honestly and simply and humbly with no reservations, offering a willing heart, feeling or no feeling, that man has reached his Horeb. And though he be on the backside of a desert, he is also at the mountain of God. Next we see God's glory brings the right perspective we need to serve the Lord. Problem in our American churches, in our culture, is we're so infatuated with ourselves that we don't have the power of God. We don't think we need it. You go other places, you see God moving mightily. Some reports recently from our IMB missionaries in India, they've seen over 500,000 people recently come to know Christ in the underground churches of India, and in just in the northern part of India. Jesus saves, and he's real, and he's here. Do you know that this morning? So God's glory brings the right perspective. We need to serve the Lord. Listen to this, Matthew 23, verse 12. It says, Forever, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've heard that before. How many of you, when, you're, when you were excited to go play a ball game or to go to do something, you felt pretty confident, your mom said to you on the way out, hey, pride comes before the fall. Thanks for the encouragement, mother. But we've heard that our whole life, and it's true. Villanova was taken out of March Madness basketball tournament yesterday. Number one seed. So it happens. God will not bless the people who put their confidence in themselves. God cannot greatly use a woman or a man who is infatuated with themselves. Just as pride goes before the fall, humility goes before great service to the Lord. Moses went from prince of Egypt to unknown shepherd in the wilderness. Moses, in verse 1, he, didn't, he wasn't even taking care of his own sheep. 
He was taking care of Jethro's sheep. What a humble place to be. God placed Moses at the age of 80 in a place of obscurity. Obscurity in our culture is vastly underrated. It's okay just to be obscure. Do you know that? God's Word says that we should lead a simple life. That goes against everything we see on social media every day. But God placed Moses in obscurity in order to prepare him to become the greatest leader the Israelites had ever known until that point. Why? Here's why. Because Moses needed to be reminded of God's glory and God's power. There are a few symbolic possibilities about this burning bush. Israel had gone through the fire of affliction and they would not be consumed. The enemy has always tried to exterminate God's people. He cannot do it. He's still trying today. Another symbolic possibility, Moses would be a humble fire that would not be put out. Moses tried to stomp out the fire. The Israelites themselves tried to put Moses' fire out. They couldn't. Most of all, I believe that God wanted to give Moses a glimpse of his glory because he knew that Moses, when he had to walk into that palace, he was going to need some confidence. He was going to need to know that God was with him. He was going to have to walk into that palace and say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses needed to see something to give him confidence. Servants who know how to take off their shoes in humility can be used to, by God to walk in power. So before God calls a person to do something, he often reveals his glory. How many times in the following years would Moses be walking through the desert, be walking through the wilderness, confused and lonely and cold and hot, hungry, people complaining? And Moses probably would remember that bush burning supernaturally. Church, we need to never forget in the valley what God did on the mountaintop. We need to never forget in the valley what God did on the mountaintop. Next, we see that God reveals his plan to Moses. Look at verse 7. God understands the plight of his people. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. You see the language there in verse 7? I have seen, I have heard their cry, I know I have come down. There's people here this morning, you don't believe that God cares about you. And you need to realize that God does. He always cares about his people. This morning, he's still the promise keeper. And he sees your situation wherever you are. He hears you when you cry to him. And he knows about your situation. Psalm 37.5, last week I shared it. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. God uses human instruments to accomplish the work. Eighty years it took to prepare Moses... 
Look at Moses' response. Now, everything's going great in this. Uh, Moses, at first he was terrified, and then he becomes excited. He said, oh, wow, God's about to deliver us. This is awesome. I can't wait to see Pharaoh's face when this happens. And so Moses gets excited until this point. Verse 9, it says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. Moses is getting excited. It says, And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Moses is like, Oh, boy, I'm getting real excited. God sees it. The Lord knows about it. And then... God tells Moses this, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. And Moses, at that point, he was real excited about God's plan. Lord, this is great. Can you imagine when that line came out of God's mouth? Moses, I'm going to send you that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Me, Lord? Now, it would have been great if Moses would have said, Here am I, Lord, send me. But that's not what happened. Moses said, Who am I? And look at God's response. He just ignores him. <laughs> Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Verse 12, The Lord did not argue against Moses. Notice that God did not say, no, Moses, you're this great leader. The truth is, it was irrelevant to the Lord's plan what Moses brought to the table. God just reminded Moses that he was going with him, and that's what mattered. He reminded him that what he brought to the table was irrelevant if God was going with him. Next, we see that God sends an unlikely hero. It's interesting that God would use a human instrument when he doesn't have to. We learned from last week that Moses was one of the most educated, probably one of the brightest military minds in the world. And so really, Moses was the best one to lead out the Israelites. But Moses didn't see it in this moment. Moses did not see it. Me, Lord? Who am I? And that's why he was the best one to lead him. If Moses could have saw it, if he would have seen it in that moment, he would have been the wrong one to lead out the Israelites. But Moses, he couldn't see it. God searches for men and women who are weak enough to depend on him. God searches for men and women who are weak enough to depend on him. So when God first calls Moses, Moses is taken up in his own insufficiency. Doesn't that happen to us all the time when the Lord leads us to do something for him? Lord, I can't. I, 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 I. And the Lord's saying, I don't really care what you bring to the table. I want to use you because I am with you. Jeremiah had the same fear as Moses. I am but a child. I cannot speak. And God corrected him. He said, Say not, I am a child. I am with thee to deliver thee. Paul said, Who is sufficient for these things? And then he declared, Our sufficiency is of God. 
Moses started with, who am I? But soon asked God, who are you? It's important for us to know our own inadequacy. But woe to us if we stop there. Let's move on to meet God and find him sufficient. It's not a matter of who I am, but of who he is. The Lord said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. That's what would bring terror into the soul of Pharaoh. We'll see in the coming weeks when he finally finally realizes that this God cannot be defeated. That this God is more powerful than all of the gods in all of Egypt. Where's your Horeb this morning? Have you seen the glory of God? Have you ever prayed that? God, would you show me a glimpse of your glory? The sad truth is in a, in a culture like we have, it's so easy to come to church and care less about the glory of God. And to not even be moved, to not even want to see it, not even have a, a, an inkling on the, in the inside of us to, to see the Lord move or to see his glory. When you look out in the ocean and you see the sky, it's a glimpse of his glory. When you see a precious little baby on the screen, you see a glimpse of his glory. The Lord is here, and he wants to show you a glimpse of his glory. People ask me all the time, I guess because I'm a pastor, about how to find out God's will. How, how to, do I go down this road, or do I go down this road, or do I go down this road? And I'm like, I'm not God. I do not know. But I know the one that does know. And so uh, there's a little test that I jotted down. There's probably all kinds of ways you can seek out God's will. But this is something that I found that I use that really helps me. So we got a little test here. So college student, if you're seeking, or high school student, where do I go to college? What do I do with my life? Or if you're about to buy a house or your whatever, whatever decision you're facing, I want to help us see this test. God's will test is what I'm calling it. You ready? Number one, does it line up with Scripture? So you're facing some decisions. Does this line up with God's word? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Does this violate God's word? That's a question you can ask. Does it go against God's holy law? You ever had somebody tell you just something heretical or uh, someone that basically said, God told me to, to sin? Well, if people ever say that, run, get, get away from them because lightning could strike. We get so concerned with the United States Constitution and the law of the land, but we need to be a whole lot more concerned about God's law. The Constitution that was written by the finger of God. God Almighty. Does it line up with Scripture? Does this fit into the commission to make disciples of all nations? Number two, what does godly counsel say? Proverbs fifteen twenty two says that without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Do you seek out godly counsel? People that are godly, people that love the Lord? What do they have to say about it? 
if you're not seeking out godly counsel, then you must not really want to know God's will. The Lord told Moses in the next end of this chapter, in the next chapter, to, to go and gather the elders together and to tell them what he said. What's really cool, in chapter 4, verse 27, I love this. God told Aaron, the brother of Moses, who's in Egypt, God told Aaron to go into the wilderness to meet Moses. I believe one reason God sent Aaron to Moses was to affirm his will. Can you imagine being Moses sitting there with all the insecurities that he probably had flying through his brain? His insufficiency, his, he's probably thinking, I'm, I'm hallucinating, I'm, I'm sick, I'm losing my mind, I'm seeing a burning bush. And then all of a sudden, walks up Aaron. Here comes Aaron with a smile on his face. God sent me out here. It's time to go. Mar Aaron, Marin, Aaron heard from God also. God always affirms his will through other people. Next question to ask. Is there an open door or a closed door? Is the, the door opening more or is the door beginning to close? If, it's a clo if the door is closing, maybe God's protecting you from something. Maybe, maybe God has something better in mind. The Lord told the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door which no one can shut. No man can shut a door that God's opening. And no man can open a door that God has shut. Next thing to ask yourself, do you have a peace about it? Do you have a peace about it? Philippians 4, 7 says, In the peace of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Men, have you ever gone to, to purchase a lawnmower or a car or even a boat? And you, the deal was done and you're about to sign the dotted line and pay the money. And all of a sudden, you had a check in your spirit. There's something in you didn't feel right. Ladies, have you done that before? So, you, you were going to make a decision and you, you got right there to the end and something in you just didn't have a piece about it and you walked away and the next week it made sense. Maybe you got a better deal. Maybe you got a, a better uh, car or, or you saved some money. Or maybe that car that you, were go you were going to buy, maybe the engine fell out. You know, God, God can see the future. We forget that. Americans, we just plow forward and do what we think's best, and then we ruin our lives, and we wonder, God, where were you? Well, he was there the whole time. We just didn't seek his wisdom. God is guaranteed if we ask his wisdom, he will give it. Last question to ask, are your motives pure? Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are your motives pure? So in trying to make a decision, do you have wrong motives? 
Now, some of you are saying, now that's too complicated. I can't go through all that. Now, if it's a big decision, I want to encourage you to go through those, that test. It can keep you from a lot of heartache. The Lord wants us to know his will when we need to know it. He does. He, he wants his children to know what he's doing. One of my favorite professors, Dr. Wilkes, you guys don't know him. Steve Wilkes was a missionary, a scholar, a man of God. And Dr. Wilkes used to say, if your heart is clean before God and you want to do his will above all else, then do what you want to do. And then if you stray from his will, the Lord will let you know. That's good. If your heart is clean before God and you want to do his will above all else, and then do what you want to do. And when you stray from his will, if you're walking with the Lord, he'll let you know. Now, I prefer the first method, but if you just, if that's too complicated, go with Dr. Wilkes. But be careful going that route. You better make sure you're walking with God. So what about you this morning? What's God's plan? What's he doing inside of you? He wants to work in all his people. Every single person here, he wants to do something inside of us. He wants to make us more like Christ. He wants to use us to serve in his church. He wants to use us to take the light of the gospel to all the people around us. Maybe you're here this morning and this just sounds like a foreign language to you. You think, man, this is so far from where I'm at in my life. And that may be true. But I want to encourage you, you're here this morning for a reason. God Almighty brought you here. Maybe he used a picnic to do it. Maybe he used your grandmother to do it. But he brought you here. And he wants to do business inside of you. He wants to work in your life. And you can either sit there, closed-fisted, say, nope, I'm not going to let him do it. And that's fine, but he's not, he's a God that respects people even though he he is no respecter of, of people, but at the same time, he's a father. And if he were to force himself on you, uh, he would not get much glory from your praise. And so what he does, he, in his sovereignty, he's given you a choice to decide today if you're going to follow the Lord or follow your own self. Whom will you follow today? What are you going to do with God's word? How will you respond Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, ever repented of a lifestyle of sin and put your faith in Christ and, and received the gift of salvation by faith. Receive the grace of God by faith. Today you can. So I'm going to ask everyone, please bow your heads, close your eyes.